Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. So here we are in the bottom of the ninth inning. Two outs and running first base. Mark Knutson, the tall right-hander, trying to nail this one down. He has thrown a gem to this point. Eight and two-thirds innings, giving up just three hits and looking for his fourth complete game for the speed and perhaps to secure his 15th victory. He's got a 3-1 to one lead here in the bottom of the ninth, but at the plate is the guy who has two of those hits, Manny Randawa. A single to center and a double to right so far. Knutson into his windup. Here's the pitch, and he throws a fastball right by Randawa for strike one. Randawa a bit tardy on that swing. Now we're ready for the next pitch. The windup, and here it comes. There's a swing and a long one. Into the gap in right center field, way back towards the wall. It's off the wall. Bichette can't get there. He's chasing it down, and out of nowhere comes Ellis Burke. He'll get to the ball first. The run's going to score. Randawa is around second. He's digging for three. Here comes the throw from Burks. It's going to be close. Here's the slide. It's it's the park-adjusted Rockies podcast. And now, here are your hosts, Mark Knudsen and Manny Randawa. We've officially reached the offseason, and that means it's time to look back at the World Series and look ahead to 2023. We do all that this week with Hall of Famer John Smoltz, who just finished working his seventh series, and who has some interesting advice for the Colorado Rockies moving forward. It's not what you'd expect. Here's Smoltz explain it next on the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast. Stay with us. For the best selection of autographs and memorabilia from your favorite sports stars past and present, look no further than denverautographs.com. Find what you're after on the web or at either of their two Metro Denver locations, Colorado Mills Mall and Flatirons Mall, Broncos, Rockies, Avs, Nuggets, and much more. It's all at denverautographs.com. The place to catch all the big game action is at Stoney's Bar and Grill, now with four great locations, including Winter Park and the original at 11th and Lincoln. Great food, great service, and unrivaled game day atmosphere. There's no better place to watch your favorite teams in action. To find out more, check out stoneysbarandgrill.com. Well, many and especially the off-season, as of uh, this weekend when the Astros clinched the World Series. And uh, obviously the hot stove gets started in a little while, free agency, awards, the whole bit gets going. But before that, we do want to take a look back and talk about the World Series that we just saw. It was an interesting baseball season, not to, you know, got the late start from the lockout, not the best season, obviously, in, in terms of uh, around here especially, but some historic accomplishments, obviously. Um, you have a really special guest for this week. Let's uh, Let's bring him in. Yeah, we've got uh, John Smoltz, Hall of Fame uh, pitcher and also color analyst on Fox uh, for the World Series, and we're very thankful to have him. John, thank you for joining us, and uh, how you doing? I mean, first of all, I mean, you know, the the playoff, you know, the entire postseason, I'm sure, is a very, very busy time for you, needless to say. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing good. Anytime uh, you get to the end of the road, it's you're hoping all your work paid off, and you get a nice uh, reset for the off season. So, you know, I'm... Uh, it's kind of a, a unique World Series this year, and sure. and certainly uh, enjoyed the storylines. Man, you left What's one that? thing off. He, What's that? Our guest is also a professional golfer. Don't leave that off. I'm sure he wants to keep that front and center in everybody's mind. Because now any it's golf trips season. planned? Any 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 golf vacations planned for you, John? Well, in many days, I'm uh, going to go try and attack uh, Champions Tour Q School uh, in Florida. I've got yeah. two stages. Try to get through the first stage and then see what happens if uh, put it together for the second stage. But it's always right after the World Series, so that's a little bit of a, a little bit of a challenge because you don't have the flexibility to do what you want. With this World Series, uh, the Astros, I think that one of the big questions 
on the top of uh, top of mind for most people is, is does this put to rest? And the, and I think there's more of a nuanced answer to this maybe than 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 anything else. But does that put to rest what happened uh, in 2017? It's a little bit of a different team, uh, but many of the same uh, faces. Does this um, basically vindicate them in a sense, or does it? Does that not? Ch- I mean, it doesn't change what happened, obviously, but does this put them in a better light? Absolutely. I think this um, eliminates the storyline, the cloud for what really was a tough scenario that they were going to go through from, you know, 2017. This this definitely proves to people if you, you know, if you've made a mistake or you've done something in your in baseball and you get a chance to atone for it and show everybody why that was just a fluke, then, then this is one way to do it. You just go out and you prove you're the best team. And with five guys only remaining on that roster, this narrative should pretty much come to an end. If they want to talk about 2017, well, that's something different, but you can't link, you can't link them all together anymore. John, this um, really should also be a feather in the cap and maybe the, the, the ultimate feather for Dusty Baker, who will be a hall of fame manager was a great player, obviously in his day as well, but now a hall of fame manager He came into a difficult situation. He's handled himself masterfully. And for those of us who, who still call ourselves old school, it's a little bit of indication as well. Yeah. I mean, Dusty Baker has been there, done that in so many different ways. I, I There's one thing about sports I, I'll never understand. If you never get to the pinnacle or the end of whatever that is, no one thinks twice about you. And you just kind of ride off in the sunset. But if you comp- constantly getting to the point where everyone wants to get to, and you don't win, then somehow that's a failure and, a, and an indictment on you. I, I'll never understand that. And I think that that answers the question for Dusty Baker and, and gets people off his back for what he hasn't been able to do. But do you know how many managers have never gotten to the postseason? Really, really good ones. Series? Yeah, really good ones. So to me, you know, team accomplishments and championships are hard. But you know what's harder? Getting there four yeah. out of six times or getting there three in a row. Especially you know? these days. Yeah, and that, that's the one part about sports. I think if there's any one thing that needed to be changed, it's the people who critique players or teams with the notion that here's the one player that has never been able to win a ring that has been there. That, that kind of stuff I don't understand. The Buffalo yeah, Bills and- started this whole thing, and I don't <laughs> think the Buffalo Bills were a failure by any stretch of the imagination. Well, I was going to ask you because um, we talked for for the Blake Street Bombers book, and and you made a a point to say, which was absolutely, you know, well taken that you guys, uh, that 95 season, when you guys had to play the Rockies two, three in that weird format to start, um, you guys had, you know, you guys had lost in 91 in that classic seven gamer when which you dueled uh, uh, Jack Morris in game seven, one of the all time great world series games. And then 92, you guys lost in, in six to Toronto. Um, 93, you guys were, I, I wonder if you guys maybe were exhausted with the, the pet, that incredible race with the Giants, with Dusty Baker's Giants in the first year that he was a manager, and then, you know, came up short to the Phillies in the championship series. 95, after the 94 strike, it was like you guys kind of felt like, uh, I think you guys may have felt like you, you didn't want to become the Buffalo Bills, not because you you guys felt like you guys couldn't do it, but because of that whole thing that you just talked about, which is, um, that's just how you'll be looked at that, that, that the team of the nineties wasn't really the team in the nineties. You guys did win that year, but how much do you think we, we sell your Atlanta Braves short from that era? Well, and that's exactly it, right? We're the team that didn't win enough. 95 was a ton of pressure to your point. We had so many people talking about the, what if, if we don't, you know, who we become and we won in 95. 
and it took a lot of weight off of a lot of people's shoulders from a team that really had uh, accrued a lot of wins and gotten to the championship. 96 to me was the teeter-totter break-your-back moment. Uh, we're up two games to none in the World Series. We're going to win that World Series nine out of ten times. We could possibly run off four out of five like the Yankees did. We lost that series. We traded a lot of good players, and we never won a championship, even though we got back to a couple more. So that, that to me, is how sports can be defined, but it doesn't always make it right. And we uh, you know, won probably more games than anybody in that decade, but we only won one championship, and meanwhile – the Miami Marlins or the Florida Marlins at that point had won two championships and we had one. That's crazy. Just ask me, you know, what would you rather be a team that never competes and wins two championships over a 12, 14 year period or a team that goes 14 straight years with a chance to win, but only wins one. I'm taking the latter because Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll take my chances with something twisting or changing to allow us a chance. So, when you leave spring training, all you can ask for from your organization is do you have a good enough team to get to the postseason because you want to play for that prize? That kind of goes into something we've talked about recently about the, the Colorado Rockies because they've made some head-scratching moves the last few years. You know, Nolan Arenado kind of forced his way out uh, because he didn't see a, a future here with uh, in terms of winning, and then they signed Chris Bryant and all that. If there's anything I think that this last postseason showed us, it's that you just need to get into the tournament uh, consistently because um, – if you get in, like you said, if you're the Florida Marlins in the nineties and early two thousands and you get in once every five or six years, you're going to, the chances of getting bounced early, because especially now with the, with the uh, extra wild card and the, and all these rounds, you need to be a consistent winner. Like you guys were with Atlanta, get back in there every year to really have a chance. And, and we kind of look at the Rockies as, you know, a team that has historically been like, you know, you know, we'll, 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 we'll see what we can do, but you know, we're going to, you know, we might get into the playoffs once every six or seven years, and that just doesn't seem to work anymore. Do you think that the model, given our current playoff system now with all the rounds and the the extra teams in in the playoffs, is going to have to change for teams like that, maybe in smaller markets who think, well, you know, we'll build to, to, to have a chance once every so often? Well, to me, I don't understand why this wouldn't be exciting for a lot of mid-market clubs or clubs that, you know, don't feel like they can get to 90 wins. You can get – there's going to be a 500 team – sooner or later that gets in the postseason. There is definitely should be an incentive to drive organizations to put forth the effort to make the playoffs. Because what I don't like personally, and I understand the economics are not all equal, but I don't like you're either in or you're out and there should be no in between. I don't want to get stuck. Team that misses it by one or two games. You got to build it up so that you can do the Chicago Cubs model. I'm going to tell you something right now. That doesn't work. And the reason that doesn't work is you try to sell your fan base on a seven-year bottom-of-the-tank, build your assets and draft picks, and there's no guarantee after that that you're going to do what the Cubs or the Astros did. The Cubs had a short shelf life after that, and the Astros have proven why they've been able to be consistent. Now, well, here's the other argument. The Astros had to go from the National League to the American League, so that's not the same story. They had to sit down their roster and rebuild it because – of a total different style of play. But this playoff system should allow you to build a, a build a team that if you get in, you've got a couple hot pitchers, you've got a chance to advance, and next thing you know, you're pulling off a Philadelphia Phillies, uh, almost one of the most improbable World Series winners I've ever seen. No hey, John, a year, a year ago at this time, uh, the Rockies were letting Trevor Story walk away for nothing, and the Astros were letting Carlos Correa walk away for nothing, and we were scratching our heads. 
we're thinking, why didn't they trade him to deadline and get something more than a draft pick? But the Astros did the same thing because they had this kid, Jeremy Pena, waiting in the wings, and they believed in their farm system, and they, did, they didn't They did think they had to go out and sign a multi-year contract, you know, a big-dollar contract with, with Story or anybody else to replace Correa. Is that something that the Rockies as an organization should look at and say, hey, wait a minute, maybe we're doing some things right here, trying to bring up a guy. Now the new guy is going to be Ezekiel Tovar. Maybe we are maybe we don't have to go out and sign a Chris Bryant to try to fill holes. Or do you think – obviously, you can't be completely reliant on one way or the other. You can't just go all farm system or all free agents. You have to have a blend. Yeah. But the Astros should, should lend hope to teams that want to build from within, shouldn't they? They should, but the, the Rockies have a big deterrent or a big problem that other teams don't have. And that, that is – most of the teams that win build their foundation with their starters. You can hide some warts if you got a good starting rotation, obviously a good bullpen. And so what the Astros created is a solid pitching rotation that allows their offense to not be – doesn't have to be dynamic. They just have to be good enough, and they've proven that. Yep. They weren't a great offense. They were just a good enough offense because their pitching was great. Now, the Rockies have tried in various ways to try to establish a pitching rotation – I mean, you all know that that's difficult to do in that in that park and that that part of the world, and that's the challenge. So you either got to decide, like they did back in the day when they almost and should have beat us, the Brox, you know, they were bombers. They're one of the best offensive teams I've ever seen in my life, especially in Colorado. So I think that philosophically, you got to think differently if you're building a team, and how you try to sustain winning in Colorado is going to be different than Houston where the atmosphere and their ballpark is going to be the same every single time. The temperature is going to be the same, and that's not the case in Colorado. So if there's ever a, a, a reason to be creative and to be analytic-driven, which, you know, I think there needs to be balance, you have to find that through your pitching staff in almost a Tampa Bay Rays-type philosophy where you got three frontline guys that can give you innings and the rest you got to use as, um, you know, I've always said – you could have a fourth, everyday fourth starter that goes three to four innings. You build him as a kind of a middle super reliever, and you don't give the team chances to see too many, you know, of the same pitches that are difficult to throw there. So it is a little bit more complicated than than what you what you guys have brought up. That is generally for most of the teams an opportunity to build around a good pitching rotation. You know, John, you uh, you alluded to it. Um, the Blake Street Bombers. Um, of, of, of the early nineties. Um, you, you told me that they scared you guys because I, you told me something that was really interesting. And, and then you, you kind of um, explained why you followed up and explained why you said this, because I was a little surprised when you said it, you said that the Rockies lineup prepared you for Cleveland that, that October. And that if you had to stack them up against each other and you gave the Rockies a designated hitter, you don't, you didn't necessarily know which was the better lineup. It is, is that the way that the Rockies see the thing about the Rockies is they go on the road and they have the quote unquote course field hangover where they start seeing breaking balls again. And they just, I mean, it's not personnel because over the 30 seasons that the Rockies have been in existence, you know, they've had the bombers, they've had Helton, they've had uh, Walker, they had Tulowitzki, they have, have had holiday. They've got all these guys that can hit, but they, n- none of those teams hit well on the road um, as a team. So there's obviously something there that's not personnel related. It's it's the coming down from altitude. Do you think that this is, and we've, we've floated this idea, that this is a team that needs to just own this problem and say Coors Field is going to be our, we're just going to build a team for Coors Field and win 56, 57 games every year, 60 games every year here, because we know we're going to have to lose 40 on the road. 
And we've talked to former Rockies from that era, and they and they they have some of them have said you need to build that Blake Street Bombers. Uh, try to have a as solid a bullpen as you can, and have the starters keep you within five. Yeah, you know, again, there's two ways to go in this. And and I, I when I first, you know, when we first came to Colorado, I, I remember my initial reaction was good luck trying to get a free agent pitcher. Yeah, because you're gonna have to overpay, and you're gonna have to convince them of a different standard of which. You know that that they've tried that, and I give them credit for it, and, and and it hasn't really sustained itself. I thought that if you're any kind of hitter and a free agent hitter, why wouldn't you want to go to Colorado? Why wouldn't you want to play for the Rockies and just dominate? And 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 who cares what anybody thinks about? Oh, it's a home f- effect, whatever. That part. So if you're asking me to build a model, I'm either building a model that is similar to the back in the day, St. Louis Cardinals, all contact and speed. Cause the park is so big. Yeah. I honestly thought someone would hit 400 there before someone would break the home run record. Right. Cause mm-hmm. everyone thought, Oh man, home runs are going to be, this ballpark is so big that That's if you don't have a great defensive outfield and you don't have speed, you could take advantage of the speed that nobody else uses in the game today by by taking advantage of triples and doubles and putting the ball in play and creating stress on the opposing pitcher who never really wants to pitch there anyway. So you can go those either way, those offensive philosophies you want. The question's going to be to you guys' point is, you know, what gives you the most chance to be successful on the road? Well, contact and speed because they don't value that you can invest. And so the other way, philosophy that we're going closer to a six-man rotation, which I think is horrible, than we are closer to a four-man rotation. And I would argue, I would make the argument, and I would, I would, I would make it with with data, but I would also make it with the fact that I could argue you could be a four-man rotation in Denver and be successful in the way that we are in a five and six-man rotation. Because here's what I mean: a five and six-man rotation, everyone's only or they're only going five or six anyways. And they're maxing out. I would say a four-man rotation is more conducive for that five and six innings. You'll be fresher. You won't burn out. And you can use a floater in their bullpen to eat up those innings and anyone who has a short outing. So I'm actually surprised no one's ever tried that. Well, I know it was close. I think Bud Black was close to no, doing that maybe. Actually, actually, Jim Tracy did it. Well, he, Jim it, Tracy. Wasn't, it wasn't Jim's idea. It was Bill Guy Vett's idea. They, they yeah, the piggyback. Yeah. 2012. And – it was not met with much uh, enthusiasm from the pitchers nor the nor the players. Uh, but I see your point. I think yeah, you got to have the. They didn't have dependable middle guys. Was the problem? Yeah, and I'm just telling you that the style of pitching that we're asking these guys to do today is like More conducive. Trying yeah. To, yeah, it's trying to drive your car 95, 100, 120, and redlining all the time. Yeah. This this subject I could spend a week on at a seminar and explain my point, but. But you ask a very a good one. Unless we change the thinking, unless we get away from this kind of style, then you're asking, you know, you're asking a lot of guys in Colorado to do things that are are not they're not their advantage as it would be at sea level. And so, you know, that's 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 how you combat it. You have to. You 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 can't build your team as if you're in New York. You're in Colorado. You have to build it. The Rockies did that with a lot of really young starters that year because they didn't want guys going a third time through the order. Um, that, was, that was clear. And I think speaking you're of, right. Speaking if they had, had guys that could fill those middle gaps and get you to the seventh inning, um, it may have worked. Speaking of third time yeah. through, John, since we've got you, I, 
I, I would love for you to just kind of tell us, tell us what, here's the thing, here's where I am on this. And I, I'm curious about what you have to say. We, we, we jump all over analytics oftentimes, or we, it's polarized, just like our world is polarized in everything and every, in every element of the world uh, these days, you're either on the number side or you're on the old school side, but it seems to me that it's not the numbers that are the problem. It's how they're being used or abused. And, and I've talked, you know, we've talked to guys who have been in within organizations saying there's kind of an underground movement afoot uh, to return to contact um, without selling out, you know, you know, selling out for power. And, and because contact, as we've seen many times in this postseason, is far better than uh, striking out. There's, there, all outs aren't created equal. And the third time through thing, um, it depends on personnel. I mean, I don't understand why it's a it's a one size fits all. So we have some rule changes coming next year, obviously. But what do you think needs to happen in the game, both on the pitching side, but also on the hitting side? to get to where we want the game to be, because I read an article that was really good recently uh, in which the, 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 the author said the numbers have been catastrophically successful, catastrophically. It, it, like it's, it's, it, it, it's, it's become so efficient that it's made the game worse. Well, there's no doubt about the end result of that statement, but <laughs> those numbers in a vacuum are working for 162, 162 games. You can make, I would, I would not want to have to make a counter argument in court against why those numbers work. I'll tell you why. Because, A, you're not training guys to do anything other than those numbers. So there's no chance to find out the other side. Because if you're just going to blanket statement and say, I have my small sample size of this guy is the numbers get worse. No kidding. And you can look at the course of every Hall of Famer and every pitcher who pitched before me. Those guys' numbers all got a little bit worse, but they were trained to get through the game to eat up those innings because it was more valuable to a ball club then to do that. And so where I have a problem is when you pour all those numbers in one bucket and you just say that's the way it is and there's no deviation, there's no gut, there's no eyes, right. you're going to lose a lot of championships over it. And I can count you to a bunch of teams who have done that. 162, I won't argue with you. You want to get to the playoffs using those numbers and using those, those channels? Well, then here's what you're going to need, okay? You're going to need 10 to 11 starters to get you through the year. You're going to need 25 at least bullpen arms to get you through the rest of the year because where are you getting the rest of those innings? So we're abusing and using so many arms more than ever to do that, which you've just stated, right? So that is a absolute across the board. Most people are doing that. Well, you know what the uh, Astros did? They well, they let all the baseball on innings pitch. You know why? Because they had starters that could go that distance. And they yeah. also had a fresher bullpen, which made their bullpen better. And you know what they did? They won the World Series because of it. Every starter that comes out of the game dealing because we throw that number in a bucket, they had that team has a greater chance of losing than a greater chance of winning in the postseason. Because in and of itself, in a best of seven, that doesn't work. Those numbers are not apples to apples when you get to 162. It's the same thing that I would say about batting a leadoff hitter, you know, who doesn't, who's not really a leadoff hitter, but you're giving him, what, 60 to 70 or 80 more at-bats over the course of the year. So that runs your chances into whatever more home runs. You, they got all those numbers. But, but my, my point is, it's like you got guys dealing and you know they're dealing and the other team can't touch them but they're not going to deviate because a, the manager's not going to get fired because he's not going to deviate from what is typically on paper looks good. And then the next thing happens, you see the other team's eyes light up when the starter comes out and a new guy's yeah. got to be awesome. It's Blake, it's Blake Snell, Blake Snell in 2000, every single time. Well, then we would. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's Blake we Snell. wouldn't, we wouldn't yeah. need managers if every – yeah. So – but there's a million of those cases. I mean, it, it happens more than we're willing to witness and, and, and even admit because if I'm on the other side promoting this stuff, why would I ever admit I'm wrong? I'm just going to tell you that, oh, you know, you're a get-off-my-lawn guy. It's so it's so obvious to most people, but most people don't want to they don't want to talk about it because they think you're in one camp or the other. No, it's it's just basic common sense that when you as a player have been there, done that, you know how hard it is, A, to be perfect every time. B, when you're in a groove and you're pitching great and you're taken out, you feel like you got to be kidding me. You know how many games in a year I have this kind of stuff. So those kind of things go out the window. And now we just accept it because we're supposed to accept it because people have kind of shoved us down our throat and say, and again, I'm not going to argue 162, but you know what I am going to argue? I'm going to argue that all of this stuff was birthed under the um, guise that this was going to make players more successful and healthier. Well, you can throw out the healthier situation because that hasn't worked. So that part of the equation didn't work. You might be able to say, okay, it's giving players a chance to be more successful. Okay, yeah, but is that good long-term for what you guys said is the game? And I think that's what these new rule changes are going to do. They're going to they're address a lot of those issues that most people are afraid to talk about because if you say these things out loud, people, you know, they just try to they try to bury you. And- I, I I will ask you this though, John. Um, you're the perfect person to ask this. Are we is the is the are we losing? I was talking to Tracy Ringlesby about this, yeah, even as far back as a couple of years ago, and he he said and he made a valid point. He said we're losing the starting pitcher, uh, as in as in the next generation. We're not going to have guys that can go deep. Um, are we? I'm always been long. I've always been long live the starting pitcher. I'm all for strategy with how you use the bullpen, but long live the starting pitcher is something I've been behind. I don't want to, I don't want to see us lose that for the, for the sake of the game. Are we losing the starting pitcher? Oh yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. That, that was the number one analytical. They, see, they're not going to, these people don't admit anything and they just change the algorithms. So the whole idea when this was birthed, okay, is we're going to keep players safer. safer. We're going to ask each, each pitcher to empty the bucket, throw the best stuff they can, because then we're going to have the next guy come in, the next guy come in. You remember the bullpen era, and they were still kind of in it. Yeah. So by eliminating the starting pitcher, they were eliminating the high salary, high value that eats up the cost of your club, right? Because that was the commodity that everybody wants. So what do you need? You need more pitchers. You need more guys. So we, we don't develop anybody anymore. We just rush them to the big leagues. They got a power arm and that's what they're saying. This is a byproduct of what the youth baseball is delivering to baseball. And I totally disagree. So what they've done is they've indirectly eliminated the starting pitcher, except for the older guy that knows how to pitch. And then they create a vacuum and that vacuum is there isn't any, so you overpay for it. That's why we have the salaries that we have for some of the elite pitchers in the game. And what is everybody looking for come playoff time, come trade time, starting pitchers. But if you're not developing them and you're not preparing them for the task at hand in the minor leagues, yes, then you have a low chance of developing a greatness. I call it we're de, we're de-developing greatness. We're asking every young player to fill a role in the bullpen of one, two, three innings. And then we're asking them over time to develop back into the starting pitcher they should have been. And that is a tough ask for a lot of organizations. So if that culture shift doesn't happen and that development doesn't create 
an opportunity to, I call it really some of the most dynamic, great athletes we've ever seen in the pitching position. We're just taking pieces and parts of what they do well and utilize them in the puzzle of a year. And that doesn't work well for the long-term health of a player. And that doesn't work well for the organization. They got to keep finding these guys every three to four years. So if you have to find a new guy every three to four years, you're never going to have a starting pitcher that lasts the length of the contract to which you can afford them until they become a free agent. That part of the whole analytical scope and game plan to me has failed miserably. Everything else you could say is a big success in, in areas that they were able to expose and give guys an opportunity to be successful. But the starting um, pitching is what wins championships 100% of the time. Um, after, after, in a few years, after Scherzer is gone, no, after, Astros just after, after DeGroma is gone, after the, the, these, the, these last, this generation of starting pitchers, that these horses that go, you know, as long as they can, as long as they do, in the, as late as they do, is that it? Well, like I said, the rule changes are going to help reshape the philosophy of what we're playing and how we're playing baseball. I think teams are starting to see and, and starting to understand these things are a little bit more important than and just putting on paper. I'm not a big – I just don't think we're going to keep regressing in this area. I don't know how you can keep piecemealing things together. If I look I – mean, I mean, look, I've been fortunate to do the World Series for the last seven years. And I, I, with the exception of the COVID World Series, when the Rays got in there and they could do those, those things that they do so well, better than anybody else, and had a legitimate chance of beating the Dodgers, they still didn't deviate from their, from their ways. And that's the Blake Snell you're talking about. But every other organization that's been into the World Series, you look at how they won, starting with the Cubs. The Cubs were down three games to one. They won with starting pitching. They were able to beat the team with starting pitching. The Astros beat the Dodgers in what would be now, you know, it is what it is, but they, they had tremendous starting pitchers. The Dodgers won the World Series when they had tremendous starting pitching. Yes, the bullpen comes in every game. That's a known factor. But if the bullpen's got to come in at a high rate every game in the postseason, eventually that cracks. And we saw what happened here in this World Series. Philadelphia was amazing. They pulled off, but they had three frontline starters. Let's not forget. And they had the longest journey of anybody. Well, those relievers that were hot and good, those Astros got to see them in a four, four times in a five-game span. And that's a lot. And that gives the hitter a, a bigger advantage. So to me, that's the model if you want to be consistent. That's the model if you want to win. It is very hard to plug in place every year and make those decisions work. Hey, John, we know how much time left, but what's the best rule change uh, that's coming down the pike next year? What's your favorite? You know, there's so many. There really are. I mean, when I could speak to every one of them, but I think that the shift is going to be one of the greatest rule changes that everybody's all nausea about because it's taken away strategy or defense. Every single sport has put a new defense or rules on defense when something gets exposed in their sport. Same thing in the NBA, same thing in hockey. All defensive change, NFL, defensive change because scoring wasn't happening or the, or the play was being made stale. This is going to create maybe not a ton more contact, but you're going to get rewarded. You know, we'll fall in love with 110 off the bat. The reality is you got to fall in love with hitting the ball on the ground and getting rewarded again instead of always trying to hit the ball in the air. And so if you can hit the ball on the ground now and, and teams have great defense and great shortstop second baseman, that's the only way there's going to be a difference now. 
But the left-handed hitter is going to get rewarded. The averages are going to go up. Baseball strategy is going to change because as it was and as it was before, nobody ran, nobody tried to hit the ball on the ground. It was a swing and a miss, strikeout, fly ball, or walk. I don't think that can be the same now when those defenses aren't there. So to me, that is going to be the greatest unintended consequences that are going to help this game move along. And it's going to get back to, I have an elite shortstop, which gives me an advantage, or I have an elite second baseman that can cover the infield, or God forbid, I got a pitcher who could take away the middle of the field because he's a good defender. All those things are going to come back into play again. Hey, John, really appreciate you joining us as always. We know you got to get out to the golf course. And thank you for getting through this entire interview without mentioning Mel Tucker because he's a pariah around these parts. And he's not well liked. <laughs> well, Midnight uh, Mel is not, happy, is not not liked around here. So thank you for not mentioning that. Hey, I, I, I understand that. We had a guy by the name of Nick Saban. Yes, she did. Yes, she did. Who was at Michigan yes, State was. and had the the same scenario and of course we know what nick saban's yeah, gone on to I, do. I got you i got you hey thanks for joining us again and good luck on the golf course we want to see you in the tour it'll be fun thank you john uh thanks guys thanks for having me all right there you go john smoles fresh off the world series heading for the golf course manny closer coming up coming up with manny's closer stay with us this is park adjusted rockies podcast back after this for the best selection of autographs and memorabilia from your favorite sports stars past and present look no further than denverautographs.com Find what you're after on the web or at either of their two Metro Denver locations, Colorado Mills Mall and Flatirons Mall. Broncos, Rockies, Avs, Nuggets, and much more. It's all at denverautographs.com. The place to catch all the big game action is at Stoney's Bar and Grill, now with four great locations, including Winter Park and the original at 11th and Lincoln. Great food, great service, and unrivaled game day atmosphere. There's no better place to watch your favorite teams in action. To find out more, check out stoneysbarandgrill.com. The Rockies went outside the organization. Wait, they did? Yes, they did. No lie. They reached out and signed Hensley Bam Bam Mullins, who was the Yankees' assistant hitting coach, to become the new hitting coach in Colorado. Mullins has quite a resume. After becoming the first major league player from Curacao and playing in the big leagues Japan and Korea from 1989 to 2002, he became a minor league coach before joining the Giants as hitting coach for the 2010 season. That same year, San Francisco won the first of three World Series championships in a five-year span, all with Mullins as hitting coach. Mullins served as the Giants hitting coach until 2018 when he was promoted to bench coach. In 2020, he joined the Mets as bench coach. He was then the Yankees' assistant hitting coach last season. What does this mean for a Rockies offense that was arguably the worst in franchise history last season? Only time will tell. But Mullins has three World Series rings and comes from some very respected baseball operations. For a Rockies organization that has rarely hired from without in recent years, it's certainly a sign that there might be some new ways of doing things underway. If that's the case, the good news for Rockies fans is that the status quo, losing, is, if nothing else, being challenged at the corner of 20th and Blake. Manny gets the final out on this episode of the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast. Our thanks to Hall of Fame pitcher, Fox broadcaster, and professional golfer John Smoltz for his fascinating insight and interesting ideas. And as always, thank you for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.